we're part of the community. Um, we're part of their lives, you know. We've been there for 15 years. We have weddings, we have wakes, you know. We've lost many great customers and we help out people that have lost partners that are still in the community and we, you know, get meals to them. And, you know, it's a privilege to be, you know, part of that. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There are many neighbourhood heroes in the Australian culinary scene, stalwarts of the community, but also raising the game on what it means to eat out and dine in a local neighbourhood. Alex Kearns is the chef and owner of Glee Point Diner and Kearns Food. Alex, how are you? Good, Huck. How are you? Good, mate. It's been a long time uh, since we've crossed paths, but you've got a real institution in Sydney, a quiet achiever in Glee Point Diner. Uh, how does it feel to know that you've got something so special to a community? It feel, it's a great to be part of such a beautiful community. It's a uh, little bit of a sense of responsibility, but it's also an honour to... Um, Honor to you know share these moments with you know our beautiful customers. How many years have you had the keys to Glee Point Diner? So I opened the restaurant 15 years ago. I opened it with investors, and then we uh, I now own it outright and have so for about seven years now. Wow! Tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing there. It's such a tiny little space, but uh, it's a thriving little restaurant. Tell us a bit about the food in the restaurant, mate. We keep it pretty simple. And, and, and the size of the place makes us keep it simple. You know, there's only there's, only, there's limits to what we can do. Um, look, we use the uh, philosophy of buying the best produce we can and, you know, offering it in the most delicious, simplest way that we can deliver it to our customers. That's how I like to eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like that's how most people like to eat. <laughs> yeah. You've also got the catering side of thing as well. How do you um, balance the two and what's the scale of that compared to the sort of small kitchen you have at, at Glee Point Diner? Yeah, it's a squeeze. So it just slots in there nicely behind the restaurant. Yeah, as in, you know, breakfast and lunch service is generally catering and then we roll into lunch dinner for, for the uh, for the restaurant. So it's very tight, but uh, we manage. <laughs> well, what, what sort of things are you catering for? So from private events to big parties to corporate lunches. Yep, the whole the whole kit and caboodle. Wow. I want to explore uh, Glee Point Diner and how it all began and some of the stories along the, along those 15 amazing years. Um, take, take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family when you were a kid? Uh, it was everything. It, it, was, it was a big part of our life. So the fond memories of food for me as a kid were the way my mum used to uh, throw dinner parties. She loved it. She was very generous with her time and the effort she'd put into a dinner party. She would uh, often, you know, organise the menu days out in advance. And you, you always knew my mum was about to throw a dinner party when the dinner table was set, the, the dining room table was set. It was like she'd do it the day before so that she was prepared. And as a kid, yeah, yeah, as a kid, you were like, I'm on. This is it. Mum's throwing a dinner party. There's going to be leftovers. You know, how good's this? And so, yeah, they, they were the fond memories, you know, and the leftovers were like, I'm talking about after dinner mints and maybe, uh, you know, 
a wedge of pavlova stuck in the fridge somewhere. <laughs> well, can you give us a sense of some of those feasts? What, what was she cooking? Look, it was, it was less about the food. I can't remember the food. You know, as a kid, it was, you know, as a 10-year-old, I can hone into the dessert, like the sugar. I can tell you, like the first time I had a swig of tonic water, I was like, this is delicious. And then that, like two seconds later, like, what are these adults doing? This stuff tastes like crap. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was after dinner mince pavlova, and then I couldn't tell you about the dinner. <laughs> well, when did you first sort of um, pick your interest in regards to cooking and, and a potential career as a chef? Yes. So, you get that question a lot as a, as a chef and a restaurant owner. People go, when do you get into food? And as a, as a young adult, when I was about 20, my, one of my sisters had a, had a boyfriend who was a chef. In fact, he was, at, he was a chef at uh, Bird Cow Fish in Balmain. And I thought it was that. I thought it was the, you know, how we got on and how he'd cook for the family every now and then. And I thought it was maybe, you know, maybe this, you know, wore off on me. But my wife points out, stories that I tell about my boarding school year. So, as I finished boarding, I finished school at boarding school year 11 and 12. And the first time I went to dinner at the in the refectory, I walked out. There was this stench of meatloaf and it was just like I couldn't handle it. It was so rancid that I was just like, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this. So, I was quite a particular, you know, had quite a particular appetite. Some might say I was a fussy eater. And so, for year 11 and 12, I prepared my own dinners for two years. Yeah. What sort of things were you cooking? Well, what can you cook on a jaffle and a kettle? <laughs> so, you know, there's lots, lots of toasted sandwiches, lots of two-minute noodles. Um, yeah, you know, quite simple food. But, you know, I for two years, as a yeah, 17 and an 18-year-old, I made myself dinner for two years. Tell us about the early years uh, as a chef when you were doing your apprenticeship. Who were the really important people and venues that sort of helped carve your path? Uh, all of my apprenticeship. So I, I did the apprenticeship when I was I was a bit older. So I didn't start until I was twenty, and so most kids were were finished by twenty. I was sort of you'd start at sixteen and you'd you'd be a chef by twenty. So I was starting when everyone was finishing. Um, but I loved my apprenticeship. I had I was so ready to I was I wanted to be a chef so I was just like give it to me give it you know as much work as you can and I want to you know work my guts out and I did I loved it so I started off well that's the my sister's boyfriend Paul um, he gave me the great advice he's like you could go and work at a three hat restaurant or you can go work at a hotel and you'll get really good experience but it'll be slow and. You're 20, and so you probably want to learn a bit quicker. So go and find a great restaurant, neighborhood restaurant, and they're small enough so that you need to learn each section, and you might even do a couple of things each night, and you'll just be able to absorb more quickly. I was like, that's sound advice for me. And I started at Darling Mills in Glebe, and I worked there under Andy Davies for a year and, and loved it. Everywhere I worked as an apprentice, I have like the fondest memories of. And so then after... Darling Mills for a year. I went up to Byron Bay and worked with Snowy at Finns for a year, which was a blast, as you can imagine. I was a second-year apprentice living in a share house, a three-bedroom share house with six people in it, 
it was, I think I was earning $400 a week. There was $60 for rent and do the math, the rest went on beer. Yeah. Andy Davies and uh, and Snowy uh, that you've mentioned have had some pretty significant contributions to the culinary landscape. What were they both like to work for? A joy. They, they were great. Like, they, this is the reason why I'm a chef. So, they were they were professional. They were great. They were knowledgeable. They were generous. They were really generous with their time. Really generous with their, um, you know, teachings and just fun, fun to be around. It was a fun workplace to be in, a fun environment. So it just meant that you would want to be there. And then I should mention that I finished up at Sean's. So after Byron Bay, I went down to Bondi and I worked at Sean's for many, many years. Yeah. Well, Sean's Panorama is a favourite for many people who uh, love to eat out. Um, take us into that kitchen. Do you have any stories of, of what that was like? It, he, Sean, as you probably met him, he's a beautiful man. He's, yeah, warm, generous, and, yeah, a joy to work for. So, um, it was, a, like, it's just a beautiful environment to work in. Like, can you imagine doing a 12-hour shift, you know, you might start at 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, sort of after lunch service, go and have a dip in Bondi, you know, put maybe put a clean pair of chefs on and then back into the kitchen for dinner service. It was, I was, I was in bliss. You, you mentioned uh, your focus is getting great produce and keeping it simple. Where did, where did that kind of start for you as a chef for that, that idea of stripping it back and just sourcing great produce? Sean's would be the, yeah, for me, where I learned all of that technique. Um, and it is a process. Like, like a lot of, like, it might look simple on the plate, but the technique that goes on behind and the purchasing and the, and the craft of carving and whatnot, it, it is, there's quite a detail into it and a cost that goes into it. And so I just, I just, I appreciate that technique and, and, and love it. Glee Point Diner um, started 15 years ago. Uh, how, how did it all begin and how did you land on the site? So, I was doing the Bondi to Bronte one morning. In fact, sorry. So, I should probably backtrack a little bit. I I had major back surgery when I finished my apprenticeship. So, I had I had a disc. I had a slipped disc that was that wouldn't go back in, and they needed to remove it to for for the pressure to stop on my sciatic nerve. And I didn't have a moment of like, oh, what am I going to do next? It was like, how am I going to move forward in this industry? So I, it just goes to show how you know when you when you into something, when you find you what you want to do, it's you know it's a joy to you know keep working. So anyway, I was doing the Bondi de Bronte. I bumped into a mate that was that I used to work with at Sean's, and he had a he has he still does. We work next to each other. He has a dress shop in Glebe, and he was said, look, there's this cafe. I'm pretty sure they want to sell up. Um, you would do great in there. You know, I know your mum and dad live in Glebe. You've worked in Glebe before. You should come check it out. And the rest is history. It just needed a lick of paint and away we went. How different uh, was the original Glebe Point Diner to what we see today? Um, well, hopefully the DNA is the same, but hopefully it just keeps evolving. Like I don't want it to be the same. Like I want it to be familiar to everyone and I want it to be the same thing, but I don't want to be the same. I want to keep just enough uh, evolution and enough movement to keep us all going forward. You had the motivation of um, the back pain that you the, that you mentioned to sort of change direction a little bit, but how different was being a restaurateur and running a business to being a chef? Um, very, but if you just 
don't do it, you just keep being a chef. So if you just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just push that to the side and let that do its thing and you keep being a chef. And then, you know, yeah, I do, do have moments where you, you know, slip into a restaurateur and you're looking at all the prices and then you're thinking, geez, this is somebody else's job. You know, we should, should probably concentrate on food and let the customers come in rather than, you know, tweaking every dollar and cent. Tell us a bit about your approach to restauranting. I mean, 15 years is quite extraordinary for, for any restaurant on the planet. Um, what's your approach to running a restaurant and delivering um, every day like you do? Yeah, so, well, to the staff first, they've got to want to come to work. So, we've got to, we've got to provide an environment that everyone wants to come to work. Uh, it needs to be professional. They need to be learning. They need to be paid well. Uh, uh, and they need to be having fun, not in a taking the piss, but like, you know, you need to be able to enjoy yourself because it's a sense of occasion for customers. And then then that translates into the experience that the customers have. And then we've got to look after the customers. We've got to make sure that they're having fun, that they're looked after, they're getting what they need. And from there, it's just, you know, keep providing delicious food. From conversations that we've had in the past, I know you spent some quite a lot of time in in Tuscany. Um, take us over there. Do you have any stories of um, what it was like cooking over there? It was amazing. So yeah, I cooked in a little town called Castellina, Castellina and Chianti, right in the heart of Tuscany, right in between Siena and Florence. And I cooked for the, with this wonderful lady Maria Zaro, who is now down at Sean's. She's a friend of Sean's. And we, I, just had, I just had the nicest experience. I lived on top of the restaurant. I cooked in a manner that was just, yeah, it was simple, it was delicious, and you know what? It was fun. Is, can you, do you have any stories about the produce or the sort of dishes that you were cooking over there? Actually, come to think, I've actually got a pretty good story. So they gave me a scooter. They gave me a scooter, and it was like this thing. You had to pedal at first, so it had – bicycle wheels, pedal and get the engine going, jump on, da, 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 da. this thing was, you know, slow as. I've got a massive head, so the helmet was too small, so that thing would just sit on top of my head. And I used to have to drive to Panzano, which was about 10K away from, 10, 10K on the way to Florence. And I used to have to go pick up this meat from this famous butcher, Dario. And I never knew anything of him. And I'd pick up the meat, you know, the famous Fiorentinas and the, his famous sausages and bring them back. And you would go, you, the local customers, actually on sausage day, when, you, when they make the sausage on sausage day, the local, locals would go and buy sausages and eat them raw. I oh, know, mental. Um, <laughs> anyway, Dario is, ended up being this famous, you know, butcher. He's been, he's, he cooks for Jack Nicholson or whoever, you know, for his Christmas parties, yeah. What sort of impact did the Tuscan experience have on you and your cooking? Yeah, it it drums home. It, it really drummed home delicious produce, but really good produce, cooked properly, served simply. So, and just make sure everything is seasoned well and don't overcomplicate what is already a fantastic dinner. Do you have any stories of, uh, you know, over the years of, um, you know, guests coming in or signature dishes of Glee Point Diner that sort of really speak of the experience of the restaurant? Um, well, I guess 
Well, one of the things I talked about before about evolution, I mean, when we first started, we everyone wanted to order the roast chicken and we could just, we could, I couldn't buy enough chickens and I couldn't roast enough chickens. But in my stupidity or or like light beaming, you know, accuracy, I took it off the menu. I was like, let's not do this. Let's just, let's let's take that off the menu and let everyone try all the other delicious uh, meals that are on the menu. And that's the sort of attitude we've sort of had, you know, going through. Like, let's, you know, give the customers, uh, you know, a range of things to sample. Well, I'm guilty of um, wanting that chicken dish that you're talking of. Was there much pushback from customers about that? I don't think so. I think people appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> that. And in fact, I'm actually thinking 15 years on, I was like, geez, that was a good chicken. And because of the way we've sort of the techniques have changed in the in the kitchen, you know, roast. we used to roast the bird whole, you know, in a French technique. And now it's all speed, it's, you know, it's all been sped up a little bit. I, I'm temp- I'm so tempted to yeah go back in and do that whole roast chicken and you know relive it and, you know never say never. You mentioned about the evolution of the restaurant. Is, is there a dish or two on the menu that sort of speaks of where Glee Point Diner is at the moment? Yeah, the duck at the moment I'm really enjoying. So we we we're, we're dry aging our duck um, minimum seven days up to fourteen days just to get the skin that we want on the uh, on the breast and yeah, served simply with the uh, caramelized or roasted uh, radicchio and pickled grapes. It's, it's very simple, but balanced well with the duck. It just, yeah, it sings. Becoming the hub of the community like Lee Point Diner has become, I mean, there's a lot of restaurants that have longevity and are around for, you know, over a decade, but how do you create that connection? What is it that you do differently that has created this um, amazing presence within Glebe? I'm I'm happy to change. Like I'm happy to evolve. I'm happy to move daily. Like the amount of times I come into the restaurant and ask the waiters, like, can't we do something with the table setting? You know, can't we? What if we move that table there? Can we fit another chair in there? Or what? If, how's that aspect for that customer? And they're like, mate, you know, you've only got 14 tables. Like how, you know, how much change can you have? You know, you've got a certain amount of space, but that constant want and need to like improve the customer's experience, improve what we're doing, deliver more, more delicious food. It's still there. Now that the pandemic is hopefully fading away, what learnings have you taken out of that period? Um, That we are an essential business. That was, that was an emotional roller coaster. So, when the we first, I can remember I was where was I? Oh, I can't remember now. But I heard the news that the premier comes out and says all non-essential businesses are closing, and I'm thinking we're a restaurant. There's no way we're an essential business. I'm thinking pharmacies, supermarkets, you know, maybe a bank. They'll all be open, but who needs a restaurant in a global pandemic? And then the prime minister came out and clarified later, like you know, all everyone go to work. You know, you can. You know, restaurants you can open, but you can't have customers. Like we're just, we were just living it, like at the coalface. Like, and the moment any news would come out, I'd get fourteen phone calls from the staff. We're going to have to close, and you had to be that. You had to be that brick wall and going. Look, we don't know what's going on yet, so let's just keep going. I'm, t- I'm going to work tomorrow. I expect you all to be there. Like, let's just keep going. Um, let's evolve, and so. It was an emotional, you know. It was it was hard. We were we were preparing for the worst, but 
there was sunshine at the end of the tunnel. Like, it's not great, but the CBD was shut down, which forced everyone back into their neighbourhoods. And so the neighbourhood community was boosted again and they all, you know, wanted to come out and say day and needed a place to come and say hi and get out of the house and have a chat. Did the impact and, and that experience change your approach or focus with, with hospitality? Um, I don't think so. I, I, just, I just thought, I, I guess not, because I am just happy to be doing what we're doing and I'm just happy to keep going. So, you know, I wish it didn't happen. I wasn't, it wasn't ideal. Like, I actually feel for my wife the most. Uh, homeschooling two kids like kill me now I was at work I just I see uh, I'm, I'm going to work somewhere I love being and you're at home supposedly trying to do your job and schooling two kids oh my god yeah you mentioned um, relationships and building them up over the years how important are personal relationships you have with your customers very you know it's we're, we're part of the community um, we're part of their lives you know we've been there for 15 years we've had customers we have weddings in fact we've got a wedding coming up in February we have wakes you know we've lost many great customers and we help out people that have lost partners that are still in the community and we you know get meals to them and yeah it's 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 a joy to be you know it's a privilege to be you know part of that. Do you have any um, examples or stories of some of the connections that are ongoing with customers over the years? Um, well, yeah, there's this one lady who yeah lost who recently lost her partner, her husband, and we yeah we we provide meals for her, but it's more than that because often she likes to come up to the restaurant and have a chin wag, or you know we deliver, and it's that connection. It's, it's, it's someone just there saying, hi, how are you going? And, you know, do you need anything? And, you know, is everything all right? And her just, you know, having a moment there where she might be having a happy day or a bad day. And it's, you know, it's part of the, part of the role of being a you know, long surviving restaurant, I guess. You've bucked the modern sort of trend to sort of build a really successful restaurant and then multiply them and have multiple venues. You've sort of stuck with one venue and really let it shine for many, many years. Um, why, why is that? Well, I get, well, I did do a restaurant. I did another restaurant over in Neutral Bay that didn't work out. And I guess there is some hangover from that. But um, I, I guess I'm not. I guess I feel like I'm not an expert yet, so I'm still I'm still honing, you know. I'm still trying to get it right, but there's something brewing inside of me. I'm I'm ready for a uh, for the next step. I'm ready for a a, a bigger and another opportunity to come along. Um, that I I've, I think I could do one more and still hold, you know, what I want to do, dear. So yeah, the other thing is like you at the end of the day, you got to work out what you want to do and I, I don't want to manage people I don't want to be fielding phone calls from multiple venues going what's going on and this is happening and you know I can't be any more than one place at the one time I'm not good at that um, I'm really good at operations on site I love it um, so yeah I think I could do one more and still have this balance of life where I get to enjoy my life well you've had an um, incredible impact on so many people it's a very much loved venue by many people in sydney what do you love about what you do um 
Well, I just sort of hinted to the operations. I, I love all of it. I love the whole thing coming together. I love talking to suppliers. I love putting away deliveries. I'm actually like quite uh, OCD with uh, uh, stock rotation. I, I, like I enjoy doing it. I love the moment of knowing that it's easy for someone to turn up and get that first bottle of milk and know it's the first one that needs to go out. I, I love putting the wine away in the cellar. Um, I love the right amount of rostering going on. I love the fact that when we know we're under staff, we get ahead of it and, you know, we double the prep and we keep going. And, you know, at the end of the day, we all enjoy the service and then have a beer and move on. Yeah, I love the whole operations of running a business. Well, Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you today on Deep in the Weed. Look forward to a potentially other venue, maybe down the track, but um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Good on you, Huck. Thanks for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.